Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore and the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Rickson's got a kick. Celtic couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Tail goes to Spitzenkel. What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again, and welcome to episode 45 of Shim, Spider, and so much more. So a fair bit happening. A new TV deal, Ange Postacoglu, linked with Celtic. A UEFA Champions League final to dissect. Hmm. And our special guest is ex-Netherlands World Cup defender, Q Yalens. All in the company of our two golden boys, Jelko Kalatz. And Craig Moore, how are you, boys? Very well, thank you. How are you, boys? Yeah, well, very, very well. I've indeed. been better. I've been better, obviously, after the Champions League final. But um, <laughs> we'll we talk. We'd leave that until a little bit later in the segment, Simon. Mm, yes, uh, Euros coming up, of course, lads. So, who's your tip to win the trophy? I I, I had a little smoky in Belgium, uh, but now with the Bruna out, that, that's a that's a Big tilt in the armour. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's going to be very difficult. Some very, very good teams. So you're sitting yeah. on the fence, are you, Spider? <laughs> yeah. Well, now that now that the Bruner's out, I, I sort of yeah. Mate, I can't split them, Simon. To be honest, mate, I think England's a chance. I really do. Um, mate, France's squad is scary. Uh, how can you ever say no to the Germans? I think Italy's got a revitalised squad. Belgium top team, Holland top team. Like seriously, you you pick it. So you, so you your, named who, half the half the tournament. How about Spides? Who's your dark horse? So dark horse, right? So I, I totally agree with you. I, nobody's talking about the Italians. Nobody's talking yeah. about Croatia. Um, I agree with you. I think that England have got an unbelievable opportunity to be successful uh, in the Euros. My only concern, Spider, and you'll be able to maybe talk about it a little bit more, is goalkeeper scenario. Um, yeah. Not a fan of Jordan Pickford, Maury? Nah, I think he's got too many mistakes in his locker, Simon, mm. to win a to make the tournament. Oh, what about what about the Scots, Maury? How are they going to go? Hey, I, I they'll play with loads of heart, <laughs> passion, 
Um, their, their first game against Czech Republic, Simon, if they can get a victory there and, and get three points, it would give them a really good opportunity because you never know what's going to happen between England and uh, Croatia in that first matchup. Uh, but you, tournament situation, Spider, you know what it's like, mate. You must yeah. take something from your first game. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, we'll uh, do a more in-depth preview of the Euros as we get uh, closer to it. But uh, let's get stuck into it then in Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, then please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Well, boys, uh, last week we were still wondering what was going to happen with the TV deal with the A-League and W-League. 24 hours later, we knew it was finally signed. A five-year deal with Channel 10 and Paramount Plus, the streaming service. $200 million, the quoted figure. Free-to-air coverage with uh, the rest on the streaming service. But what do you make of it all? Is it a good deal for the game? Spider, you can lead us off. And I think it's brilliant. Uh, I was really excited to hear all, all the great views and, and the chat on Twitter. And look, it's, it's exciting times because the game now has a broadcaster for the next five years. Um, we can really set things in place now for the game to grow immensely. Uh, free to wear matches, fantastic again. And I, I really think it's going to be a fantastic journey now for Australian football. Maury. Yep, I, I totally agree, uh, Spides. I mean, I've spoken to, to Spider offline, you know, speaking to Kevin Musker, like, you know, people that understand Australian football, good mates, um, and the feeling with, with the people that I have respect for is this is an amazing uh, platform for Australian football now to, to really build. Um, and there's some security there, Simon. But now we have a real opportunity to take the game forward. I mean, it's a fantastic deal in terms of, um, you know, the initial investment, the 200 million contra opportunity for uh, more investment um, in, in terms of really driving the game forward. So uh, I think it's amazing. Great opportunity. Coaches, clubs, players, certainty. Um, that's what we've, we've all been sort of like looking for over the last three, six months, nine months, however long we've been waiting. Um, but I think everyone will be delighted with the outcome. I suppose the, the one question mark, certainly from the consumer's point of view, is that uh, football is now going to be split across the many different platforms with the Premier League on Optus and uh, the Champions League potentially going to nine strokes stand, the A-League, W-League on, on 10 and Paramount+. Plus. The national team rights uh, are also up for grabs at the moment. They're going to be announced pretty shortly, as we're led to believe. Yeah. It would be better if they were on the same platform as the A-League and W-League, wouldn't it? Well, it would be even better if it's on Channel 10, hmm. the first station, Free to wear broadcast all the soccer room matches. That that would be the best thing. And Matildas, yeah, and Matildas, all all national team matches on on uh, free to wear, which would be ideal. And you know what? We might get that. 
Yeah, and it makes look, Simon. It makes sense uh, in in regards to you talking about national team stuff. You you, you don't want to confuse the punters, do you? You want you want to try and get or bankrupt you know, them. That, <laughs> well, or, or bankrupt them. But in terms of you, you want you want to yeah, you want to make it nice and clear from in terms of the A League, in terms of the W League, in terms of the national team. It would be great if that was all on one platform. Okay, we'll see what uh, happens with that. A couple of other uh, talking points before we get on to the weekend's A-League action. Uh, apparently, there is a meeting on the 18th of June uh, that's been publicised to discuss the national second division. There is potential for a pilot tournament in 2022. They're still looking at 2023 as a start date. I mean, we, we've spoken often on this podcast about the need for a national second division. But again, it looks like the wheels are slowly starting to turn and that we might actually get uh, an answer after all this uh, endless debate, Spider. Yeah, well, I think I think they're on the right track. Like, I mean, a, a pilot season to set it up and get the clubs that can actually participate in the competition is a fantastic thing for the clubs to find their feet. And let's not kid ourselves. It's a big jump from MPL level to a, a national second division, a national second division, not a state league level, a national second division. So having a pilot season for these clubs, I think is very beneficial for them all to learn because we can always learn. And Maury, the, uh, the good news keeps coming. The Sydney Morning Herald this week reporting that the member federations have agreed to a review of football's management and governance structures. Uh, perhaps the, the FFA looking to drive, I keep calling them the FFA, Football Australia. They've had so many different names. Uh, I, maybe looking to streamline the game's administration and save some money into the bargain. I know Football Queensland are trying to drive these reforms by diluting the power of regional, regional zones up there in the Sunshine State. Yeah, look, Football Queensland may well be the guinea pig for, for, for James Johnson. Uh, and um, Federation Football Federation Australia. Um, James is very close to uh, to Cavalucci, who's the CEO of Football Queensland. Um, principle seven in the eleven principles is all about the, the well the overspend really the mm. the waste of of, of what, twenty million plus that goes into the administration uh, of the game uh, through the member federations. So. For me, this is this is really pleasing to to hear because you know a lot of families are are being charged money that um, really they can't afford, Simon. Um, and we shouldn't be in a position in any kind of sport. Uh, but we're talking about now football, and we're passionate about football. We want to keep everybody that we possibly can involved in the game. But for too many years, it's been too expensive to be involved in the game. So this is a great initiative, and hopefully. Um, you know, football Queensland now, and it needs to go a lot, a lot further than that. But it's certainly a step in the right direction. A good news week, blimey, rarer than hen's teeth for football <laughs> Australia. Uh, let's talk about the A League, um, starting with uh, the Melbourne Derby. I guess it's a Melbourne Derby. Western United, just outside Melbourne, but uh, absolutely hammered <laughs> spider by Melbourne victory. Uh, behind closed doors, of course, at Amy Park due to the lockdown in Victoria. A rather limp end to Western United's uh, challenge for the finals. And interesting comments from Mark Rudin afterwards saying that uh, a full reset is required. Um, do you concur with that? And do you think the fact that they've been on the road all season in so many different places has played a part in their failure to reach the top six this season? Look, losing the first set 6-1, I, I thought there were a chance to come back from that. 
But uh, look, I, I think the all the travel really caught up with Western United. Um, they looked really flat to me, and they've looked flat. Maury, we've spoken about it in the last couple of weeks off air as well. That they they just look like a team who's in need of a rest. Uh, the travels got to them. They're not playing with any buzz about them, and it, it's it's a bad way for them to finish considering mate, it was against victory who's been very poor this year um as for the reset simon i actually don't know what rudes actually means by that to be honest with you because the club's only been alive for two years so they they should have really been building and continually building so i don't i have i should have spoken to rudes and asked him what he meant by the reset spides this this is this is a club um, in my opinion, and it's only, it's only my opinion, it, it's in, it's in free fall. There's there's some serious issues. There has to be some serious issues behind the scenes. Um, first season, Rude's done a, a, an amazing job. Um, I'm not saying he's done a terrible job this season, but it just doesn't seem to be, um, you know, off the park behind the scenes. There just seems to be something missing, and the travel, no home ground being moved about, not being able to really establish a fan base, all these kind of things, I think there'll be change at Western United. Okay, uh, another big away win for Sydney FC, 4-1 over Adelaide United. Uh, the Reds had Jordan Elsie uh, sent off in that game as well. Sydney uh, short of, of second now after Brisbane uh, failed to win their game as well. The Sky Blues, Spider, they've won four straight now. They've conceded only one. They're starting to score goals. They've got LaFondra back in the fold. Babo's fit again and scoring. Um, ominous signs for the rest of the teams in the finals that Sydney could potentially go and do the, the three-peat? Well, they, they, they can. They've got one problem ahead of them, a team called Melbourne City. But uh, <laughs> we, 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 we all called it that Sydney would come good. Uh, we kept on saying it. They, they were huffing and puffing all year, weren't they? And but come business end, their squad is too strong. And you know, Lafondra's come in, Bobo's come in. You know, serious firepower. Barbarousas, they're all playing for keeps now. These players. So you look at it, look. Spides, You look at it right. So you, the two players you see, you got Bobo, who's going to be there for the final series. You got Lafondra, who's come back for the final series. Ninkovic, unbelievable. And then you, the team that we backed and that we, we really like this season, Melbourne City, which have been unbelievable, gone and been the best team all season. But now going into the final series without a Jamie McLaren, mate, how quickly potentially things can change. And one or two yeah. others, of course, as well. Oh, I, think Curtis, I think Curtis Wood's a massive loss. Mm. Yeah, massive loss for Melbourne City. But Sydney FC has always been a good side. They've got the experience, Maury, that... Come finals time, they're the one team that I would never want to play in a one-off match. And of course, uh, Sydney lose a couple of players as well, notably Ryan Grant and Andrew Redmayne, who are off with the Socceroos. So it's going to be very interesting come uh, finals time. Uh, interesting comments from Carl Viet afterwards about referee Daniel Elder saying... Uh, we needed a bigger referee for this game. Um, he's from South Australia, but he showed he's he's not very South Australian. What does that mean? I think Carl's missed the point. I think Carl's missed the point of being a referee. You're not supposed to be for or against either team. Anyway, um, 
<laughs> Wellington 2, Perth Glory 2. Uh, probably the results uh, neither team wanted, given their place just on the fringes of the finals. Another massive crowd spider, 22,233. Who would have thought that we'd have been saying Wellington Phoenix are the team that are sort of uh, holding up the A-League at the moment in terms of crowds? But you know what? Their, their supporters have been starved of football, haven't yeah, they? Yeah. Uh, they've been starved of football. And sometimes it makes you wonder, bloody hell, where are you every week when they play? Mm. You know, like uh, when they were playing in Wellington. But they were starved. They fair play to them. They turned up. They supported their team. Uh, cracking game of football. Both teams. Uh, cracking game of football. Uh, Rocket ready, making a vital save at the end that, against one of his former clubs, a penalty against the Villa. But you know what? Uh, Wellington, I think, have, the beginning of their season has killed them, but they've played all their games away from home. If they would have played in Wellington this year, they would have definitely made the top six. They still might scrape in. Yeah. And Spider, did we see, did we see the goal of the season? Oh. Tim and... Oh, my God. What? What's a cracker. Mate, yeah, all, I'm, all, all I'm going to say, I don't, I don't know, Maury, but you know that in New Zealand it's always windy. There had to be some wind assistance oh, because mate, it, went, it went like a rocket. Mate, a rocket. Hey, but, so the wind must have been behind him because it went like a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific stuff over in uh, Auckland. Uh, the Wanderers got a win against Brisbane. Too little, too late, probably, uh, for Carl Robinson's team. Bernie Abini and... Uh, Bruce Kamau with the goals. Uh, Spider, I want to ask you about Daniel Margush. We, we've spoken about him before. He was outstanding again between the sticks. Uh, head of the Oli Roos campaign in Tokyo as well. Could he be yeah, on the plane? He's a fantastic season. I, I, I called it early. He's had a fantastic season and he's grown with, uh, with each match. And that's, that's what happens when you get some backing as a young keeper. That's uh, his first year that he's actually playing. He's 23 years old, so it shows how long you have to wait to get an opportunity and to develop as a player here in Australia. And he's done fantastic. He made a couple of great saves again uh, on the weekend to keep Wanderers uh, in the game, if I can say. But I, I thought, again, it was another entertaining match. Mm, sure was. Um, <clears throat> not, gonna, not sure it's going to save Carl Robinson from an awful lot of scrutiny at the end of the season if... Uh, as is likely, the Wanderers do not make the top six for the fourth consecutive season. That is simply not good enough for a club of their size and their stature. Um, Maury, the Mariners, another big win yeah. over MacArthur. Uh, reaching the finals after three straight wooden spoons, how big an achievement would that be? No, it, it's, a, it's a huge achievement for the Mariners for, from where, they, where they've come from, as you touched on the last two or three seasons. And we were highly critical, or I certainly was at the start of the season in terms of the improvement that, ne that needed to be made. Uh, but you've got you've to pay credit where credit's due. And, and, and Stadich has done a wonderful job this season. Um, you know, the Mariners have been up there for, for a large part of the season and got off to a fantastic start. And still, when I look at, when I look at their starting lineup, I think it's a good team. It's, it's got A-League experience, but it's, it's not a great team. And that's not being disrespectful to the players. And so I think that actually goes in, in more in favour of what Stagic uh, has done for this team. I think they're boxing well above their weight. I really do. Um, wonderful season. 
And it would be capped off if they were to finish in the top six. We'll find out uh, all will be revealed over the next week or so. Uh, Spider, last one for you. Of course, the Socceroos have uh, gathered in the UAE ahead of the big World Cup qualifiers. We've spoken about uh, the players that are going to be absent from the pointy end of the A-League campaign, but also absent from this squad, Aaron Moy and Tommy Rogic. Yeah. uh, Look, I think... Aaron Moyes, one, I, I read a comment, Arnie said uh, about being with his family, wanted to see, like he'd been away in China and it's the only time he gets to see his family. And I think at this time and this part of the qualifications, I think Arnie's been a little bit lenient with it because Corona has been very difficult for everyone. You know, we've seen Mitch Langerak calling it quits because of the situation. And I, people are fed up everywhere. Um, so I understand. Uh, Aaron Moy's situation. Uh, Tommy Rogic, I heard, had a slight injury, um, which you would have thought he would have went to see our doctors over there and maybe maybe get it sorted out over there. But yeah, that's a that's a complete different one that I have no idea about. Mm. That's the only thing I know about Rogic. And I don't think Tommy has has had an awful lot of game time, has he, of late with Celtic either. Okay, uh, thanks for the moment, guys. I should also mention uh, a terrific day I had on Sunday calling the men's and women's game in the NPL New South Wales. Uh, Great new concepts. Football Festival, the best in the inner west of Sydney, up here Leichhardt against uh, Sydney Olympic. It was a double header on Sunday. Uh, The trophy, inaugural trophy, won uh, by Sydney Olympic. And uh, they had a great crowd there at Lambert Park as well. It was a terrific day. So thanks very much. Uh, for Apia for asking me along and uh, asking me to do the calls. It was an awful lot of fun. Let's head overseas. London calling. London calling. Go further with the Australian College of Physical Education. With more than 100 years of experience, ACPE's courses are designed to get you career ready. Their bachelor degrees in sports performance and business, health science, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Applied fitness, education and dance can help turn your dream into a career. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Well, let's kick off, if we absolutely must, with the UEFA Champions League final. Uh, Chelsea defeating Manchester City by a goal to nil. Uh, I think I'll give my opinion first before I ask the boys. As a Man City fan, Chelsea, worthy winners. Defended brilliantly, superbly set up by Thomas Tuchel. Um, But I think Pep Guardiola got it wrong. How do you leave out Fernandinho and Rodri, at least play one of them, no holding midfielder, switching Gundogan back to a more defensive role, starting Raheem Sterling, who has had a disappointing campaign, to say the least. I think he confused the players. He certainly confused the fans. What about you, boys? 
Go on, big say, tops. You go first. I was going to say, Simon, I was going to say, mate, so tell me what concerns you. Uh, but <laughs> you kind of rattled it off pretty pretty well there. I mean, look, Pep, we, we've spoken about this. Maybe at times when he, certainly the Champions League, maybe overthinks things. But at the same time, I, look, I thought it was a wonderful game. Uh, I thought, you know, I know the, the 1-0, but it was very entertaining. Um, the, the game for me was, was, was an open game of football. Two teams looking to to go and attack and, and score goals. And you're talking about Spides probably five or six times where Man City were in positions where they got that ball across that six, eight yard outside of goal and all that, mate, two yards in front, two yards behind, maybe a different situation. Yeah, yeah. Like Chelsea won the game, fair play, Tuchel, well done. What an impact he's made. Um, but I don't think Man City played poorly. No, me either. I, I actually thought Sterling was very good. I thought he was he was causing them all sorts of havoc in the first 20, 25 minutes. And, mate, Maury, big matches like that, they all come down to moments, which we speak about all the time. Two very, very good teams. Yeah. And they were moments. Like, even Chelsea's goal. I'm not being funny, right? Chelsea's goal, the, the left back, what's his name? Zika from Zinchenko. Manchester City. Zinchenko. Mate, seriously, that was a schoolboy error. Schoolboy error, how a player of that quality and that level can get caught out like that. Maury, you're a defender, you should speak about it. But I, I was, to be fair, it happened to Chelsea in the first half where Sterling got in behind. Yeah. Ex exactly the same way. And I'm going, mate, how can you not see him? Like, you have to see him as a defender. But it's moments and matches. I, yeah. Now, they are moments, they're big moments in matches. And and, and, you know, we talk about modern-day football and the proactive kind of coach and, and that aggressive press and all that sort of stuff. The reality is, for that goal that, that, that Man City conceded, they got their press wrong. Yeah? Yep. Because, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Mendy skips a line, right? Yep. Which is a great, a great lesson for Australia that you don't have to play out through the back, this right fullback, centre-half, skip the lines. All of a sudden, they're in a, a fantastic position. And, and get him behind uh, with, with one flick on, right, and a forward pass spider. I, I, yep. I also believe that where they started and that Edison's position, he should have been edge of the 18-yard box starting position. Maybe yep. then there, there's, there's no uh, final outcome for Havertz to score the goal. True, true. But I tell you, that the boy Werner, doesn't he cop a lot of slack? Like, seriously, mate, he would be my starting lineup every day of the week. Because the amount of work and the runs he makes to open up situations, okay, he doesn't take his chances uh, clinically like one of the top, top strikers, but his work ethic for the team is, yeah. is phenomenal, phenomenal. Does an awful lot of uh, unseen work off the ball. You're right. Uh, one shot on target, though, for Manchester City in the 90 minutes. That sums it up for me. Um, and I think... Our City fans knew when Kevin De Bruyne went off, horrible injury, broken nose, fractured eye socket, that that was yeah. probably uh, game over. But I go back to the starting 11 from Pep. I was in the pub on Saturday night with over 100 <laughs> Man City fans. And when the team sheet came out, that was the talk uh, amongst all the fans. Why is he not starting Fernandinho or Rodri? And why is Raheem Sterling start? If City fans can see it, I don't know why Pep couldn't anyway. Congratulations to Chelsea, worthy winners, European champions uh, for the second time in their history. 
um, across Manchester, Manchester United also had uh, a miserable Europa League final, uh, losing to Villarreal, Mori on penalties. Um, David De Gea uh, missing a kick and, uh, again, unable to save any of the penalties. Is he done at Old Trafford, do you think? It's been an uphill battle, hasn't he? I mean, look, I'm going to be honest with you, it was a pretty poor game to, to watch the final. Um, the most exciting part probably was a penalty shootout. Um, and, and also going through virtually two whole teams and the final penalty getting to De Gea. And by the way, the penalties in this shootout were <laughs> unbelievable. Outstanding. Outstanding. Ah, unbelievable. De Gea's the only one that wanted to try and maybe produce a little bit of a clever run-up in the, in the side foot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, Man United, you've got to give Unai Emery a, a, enormous credit because I thought they were well-organised. They frustrated the, the, the life out of Man United. Scored a really good goal, which I thought was a poor goal, in all fairness, to concede from Man United in, in terms of the set piece, uh, especially in the position that they conceded it. I thought Lindelof clocked off. Um, his body position was all wrong. Um, Villarreal, to be fair, and, and, and Unai Emery's got a, an incredible record in this particular tournament. Hmm. Uh, I think that was maybe his fourth That's Europa right. Cup. Yep, it yeah? is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Incredible, Man United. Look, didn't do enough, and there's also there's question marks about um, you know a few things that we've seen during the game, Simon. <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of the huddle, like pre-penalty shootout, and who's conducting the conversations, and you know, does Oli uh, going to Solskjaer have the power or the presence to to really take this club forward? There's a lot of questions being mm -hmm. asked. I mean, but at the same time, they've got to a Europa Cup final. They've come second in the in in the the Premier League. That's not good enough for Manchester United. No, they've got to win trophies. Um, let's move on to the playoff finals. Uh, Brentford's defeating Swansea by two goals to nil. Ivan Tony again on target. Uh, Brentford back in the top flight for the first time since 1947. And in the League One playoff finals, how about the Aussie? Kenny Dougal with a couple of goals for Blackpool to defeat Lincoln, and they are back in the championship. That's a terrific uh, day for him. Brilliant. Kenny Dougal. Kenny Dougal was a young lad coming through the, the system at Brisbane in the academy, Simon. He was playing as a, as a six, as a holder midfielder. Um, great left foot. He's come overseas, worked extremely hard. Um, probably not played as much as a six, played, you know, left fullback. Uh, but I'll tell you what, what a, what, a, what a great day for him. What a moment to score, score two goals in a playoff final. Uh, to, to gain promotion uh, from League One to the Championship, to be involved in the Socceroos, uh, I think at the age of, of 28. Um, so, yeah, no, really, really pleased for, for Kenny and, and also for Blackpool. Congratulations. A late bloomer um, at Bloomfield Road. Uh, Maury, we're going to stick with you because I know your phone has been ringing itself yeah, to pieces over, <laughs> over the last 48 hours at the news that Ange Postacoglu may become the new Celtic manager. Um, A, what's been the response in Scotland, which from yeah. reading from here seems to be a little bit mixed to say the least. Um, and B, do you think it will happen? Um, well, I'll, I'll go the opposite way. Do I think it will happen? Um, yes, I think it will happen. And the reason why I say that, Simon, is that we, you know, over here, I've, I've been here now seven months. Three months of my time here has been about Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe, when's he going to take it? What's happening? Blah, 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 blah. And that's 
that's not happened. Uh, I don't know the reasons why. Uh, and then within 24, 48 hours, really, really strong media coverage over um, Ange Postacoglu to, to, to be the front runner for this job. And you're talking about in terms of betting, uh, six to five, even money, which is, which is crazy. I don't think that Celtic will get it wrong twice. So for me, that's why I think that Ange Postacoglu is uh, the next Celtic manager. Um, the first part of that question is uh, in terms of uh, what's uh, the, the reception been like in terms of his name. Look, in the UK, in Europe, they, they can be a little bit uh, ignorant at times, uh, if I'm being honest, in terms of if you've not coached in Europe and um, you're, you're coaching elsewhere, there's maybe um, not the, the understanding of what you've actually achieved. You know, and still holds an Australian record in Australia, 36 match unbeaten run with Brisbane. Um, won the Asian Cup, AFC Coach of the Year, 2015. Goes on and turns a mid-table club in the J-League to championship winners the following season. Um, so he, he wins trophies, yeah? Um, it's, not, it's not his problem that people don't understand what he's achieved in the game. And, and, and he's, you know, we, we, we know Ange, we know Ange very well. His desire um, uh, to be the very, very best, to be at the top level. So, no, nah, very, very interesting, uh, but massively strong reports over the last 24, 48 hours, Simon. So I feel as if um, he'll definitely be the next Celtic manager. Spider, as Maurice says, we know Ange very well. We know what he's capable of. So uh, we, I think most of us believe that he could do a good job. But how does he deal with a very different uh, style of play, a very different league, very different expectations he would have at Celtic and all the media and fan pressure that comes with that, do you think? Well, for me, the first thing is Celtic is a club about winning trophies. So if you go through Ange's history, tick, he wins. He wins everywhere he goes. So, mate, very good, very good choice. Style of football, Celtic want to play a style of football that, that wins matches. That's Ange. And he believes in what he wants to do. He's got a strong character. And for people that, you know, maybe, you know, we don't respect ourselves, let alone expecting people from other countries to respect us. Ange is a very good, very, very good manager. His problem is he's got an Australian written next to his CV. And that in Europe is straight away, oh, who's this bloke? Well, they didn't know who Arsene Wenger was either. Ah, bravo. Before he coached bravo. in Japan. That's what, I said. That's what I said over here as well, you know. You, you, Arsene Wenger, what was it, Nagoya's Grampus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nagoya's Grampus, sorry. Um, you know, and, and the impact culturally in terms of when he Mate. come to, to England with, with, with Arsenal and what, 22 years later? I mean, I'm not saying yep. that Koglu is going to be the next Arsene Wenger, but the profile is, is, is very, very similar. You know, like Ange has, has been hugely successful. Not a lot of people in Europe or in the UK in particular, Simon, know him. But you know what? He's been in the media for the last two or three days. If they don't know who he is now, then that's more, <laughs> that's, that's, more their, that's more their issue. They've not done their job. 
Well, the the interesting yeah. thing, Spider, you say it's uh, you, you see that Australian passport, and that's um, you know a tick against you or a cross against you. Uh, they've been calling him Greek in the UK, so I'm not sure that that yeah. applies because of yeah. where he was born. My own personal view on this, uh, I think some in the UK, the Celtic fans in particular, may be missing the point because they don't know a lot about Ange. Uh, this is only my opinion, but I think Celtic are not just looking at winning Scottish Premier League titles because they do that regularly anyway, although not this season. I think they're looking at the Champions League and how they can compete on a lower budget. And that means implementing a style and having a a manager that can play those top teams at their own game. Um, And we've seen that he can do that with the Australian national team, with Yokohama, with Brisbane Raw, Melbourne Victory, et cetera, et cetera. So I I think this is going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. Fascinating story. Let me me tell you, though, whoever gets this Celtic job will not be on a limited budget. They will have the opportunity to spend. Um, So interesting. Like I said, I I think with with the way that it's been reported um, the last 24, 48 hours and the amount of phone calls that I've had, mate, talk sport, um, the Herald, the Scotsman, mate, you name it, they're all coming. They're all coming. They all want to know about. That tells me that this is very, very close to being done. How's that going to go down with you if he starts winning trophies as Celtic manager, Maury, as a Rangers? Mate, I've, kind of, I've kind of said it's like it's a tough <laughs> one for me. It's, it's a tough, mate, because Andrew's a pioneer for Australian coaches. Yeah. I mean, Spons, I don't know who the first player was that eventually sort of like gave that reputation for an Australian back in the day, 20, 30 years ago. You know, Craig Johnston, sudden, probably. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, you're right. Probably Craig Johnson. We all grew up supporting Craig Johnson, but Andrew's got that in his locker uh, mm. in terms of being that coach that, that is that pioneer to, to really set the trend for Australian coaches coming through. Um, we, 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 we are resilient, Simon. We are resilient. Got great character. More importantly, just because we got just because we got an Australian passport doesn't mean that we we, we don't know anything about football mm. throughout the world because right. we've been based all over the world. We've played in the top leagues in the world. Yeah, well, I agree, Maury. I, I, I hope I hope he gets this job because, mate, seriously, he's ready for it and he's ready to blow their minds because, mate, he and you know what Andrew's got? He's got big kahunas. He's not scared to make a decision at a club like that. And, I, I, mate, I think you'll be successful. I really do. Fingers crossed. Sorry, sorry, Simon. The, 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 the start, and, again, we spent a little bit longer on Ange because this is a, this is a wonderful story. It's a massive mm. story, right? But the type of football that Ange wants to play, he, he, he dominates. He likes to dominate the ball. So, therefore, his teams have a lot of possession. They play a very attractive brand of football. They, they, they score a lot of goals. They create a lot of opportunities. Now, I understand when you go to Japan, you go to a mid-table team, and all of a sudden, you need a little bit of time to become title winners, which is incredible as well, second season. But he's going into, potentially, if he gets a job, into a Celtic squad that... They virtually dominate every game of football they play anyway. That's an unbelievable starting point for any coach. I guess the problem is, if he does lose a couple of games, then um, given his relative lack of profile in Scotland, they will be after him. Anyway, let's hope he gives those Celtic fans a nice surprise um, if he gets the job, which uh, seems eminently possible. There's a whole heap of coaches and managers suddenly available in Europe. Zinedine Zidane has left Real Madrid. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino intriguingly being linked with a return to Spurs. And, uh, Antonio Conte has left uh, Inter and Spider. And we'll finish up with this one in this segment. Andrea Pirlo has gone from Juventus and they've gone back to the future with Massimiliano Allegri 
returning mm. uh, to Turin. Uh, the old saying is, you should never go back. Will he be a success? I think so, because I think he's a very good manager. I, I actually thought when Zidane left, I actually thought he would go there. Um, but, you know, like, it's a what a merry-go-round of top managers. Where are they top, all going to end up? Top, top it is incredible, you know, and we're talking the the creme de la creme, you know, the biggest clubs around Europe. I, I think Allegri will be successful, Simon, to answer your question at Juve, because I think he's a very, very good manager. Um, I thought, I thought he might go abroad, I, but mate, when Juve comes singing, mate, what, what do you want to do? It's the biggest club in your own country, and you know what you're going to get. You know you're going to get backing. Um, and they want to be successful in the Champions League. So, yeah, some, some big decisions and some excited fans for sure all That's around fine. Europe to see who's going to lead their clubs. Fides, Conte, what, what, he, just wins, he just wins things. But what, what has yeah. been the issue? What has been the issue at Inter that obviously he's been successful and straight away he's, he's leaving? He threatened yeah, to you know why? last year, didn't he? After the uh, yeah. Europa League final. But that was yeah, that to, was that to do with the the new the new stadium or what, what was that to do with? He's he's leaving because they're not giving him any money to spend next year for the. So he says, well, if I go into the Champions League with this, what's what's the point? I can't. And he's not saying that he's got a bad team, but he needs to strengthen. And like you know, Maury, every manager every year needs to bring in that one or two, two players. extra players to to make strengthen your squad. And they've said no spending. They're actually cutting the budget, and he said, well, mate, I'm a high, hiding to nothing. I might as well go out on a high. Interesting yeah. that uh, Paris Saint-Germain have said they won't let Pochettino go. I wonder whether Zidane or maybe Conte might end up we at Tottenham. We Simon, we touched, we touched on also Nuno Espirito Santo. Mm -hmm. Santo, Santos. Um, Santos. Uh, Santo from, from Wolves uh, about what his next potential job opportunity might be. I mean, we were talking possibly Spurs, but now with Pochettino being mentioned to that. Palace is a, is a name that has come up for, for Nuno as well. Mm. Uh, there you go. Is that a step up from yeah. Wolves, though? I think you'd be looking for a, a bigger job with respect to Palace. But anyway, we shall see. Thanks uh, for the moment, boys. Let's head into our final segment. And another big guest awaits us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Rotterdam in 1978 and began his career with local club Sparta before moving on to Willem Twee in 1999. But it was his move to RZ Alkmaar that was to become career-defining, a seven-year spell, the highlight of which was an Eredivisie title in 2009. He later played for Wisla Krakow in Poland before coming to Australia in 2013 to play for the Newcastle Jets. A couple of years later, he finished his club career with Melbourne City. He played 15 times for his native Netherlands, including at the 2006 World Cup in Germany. And today he is back in Newcastle, coaching the next generation as part of the Northern New South Wales and Newcastle Jets setup. He is, of course, Q Jalens. Good Q. Alles good, alles good. With you? 
yeah that's the extent of my <laughs> yeah, dutch unfortunately <laughs> but but spiders i know is better um but let's kick things off with with your early beginnings uh, you got obviously surinamese heritage i yeah. think your uncle was or, or maybe still is the td of the suriname national team so uh, football so, was in your blood is that right oh can yeah you can say that so he was uh First, the national team coach, and then stepped up to be technical director for the the national FA. And he's still very involved in football, but more uh, on the developing part of of, of things. Um, but yeah, you can say football is in my blood. Yeah. Were you, were you a Sparta fan or Feyenoord fan when you were growing up in Rotterdam? So let's put it this way: <laughs> my my dad was a hardcore Feyenoord fan. Right. So he took he took me to the cup. So that's that's where it all started. <laughs> but then playing wise, when I started to play for Sparta, like Sparta and Feyenoord, they don't mix. So that that was Feyenoord done for me. So then obviously <laughs> you know playing at Sparta, Sparta became my my home club, and and from there supported Sparta. Do, do you remember your debut? I think it was at Groningen in May nineteen ninety seven. I've done yes. my research. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do remember. I do remember. Because um, everything went very fast for me, to be honest. Um, so I played like local MPL first grade when I was 15 and made my debut um, at the end of 17, close to 18. So in, in a very short time span, like it kicked off for me. So uh, yeah, very, very memorable. So, so I remember every, every little step I took. You mentioned that Sparta Feyenoord rivalry. Was it difficult to play for Sparta at that time because you were sort of down amongst the the bottom <laughs> teams in the Eredivisie? And Feyenoord, of course, at, the, at that point, were winning the title under Bert van Marwijk, yep. and they went on to win the UEFA Cup in two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so because it was, I think, because it was the start of my career. Like I was like blessed with every game I could play at that level. So at at that since I didn't really look at the games like, you know, Sparta, Feyenoord, I was just happy to play, uh, play in the big stadium, full crowd. Um, so that, that was the focus for me. So and later on, when when I kind of got settled into the game, that's when you kind of start picking teams and, and focusing on, oh, I'm at the bottom of the table, I'm at the middle of the table, or we're fighting for a championship. But at, when I started, I was just happy to play every game I could. Which is a nice segue to your first transfer, which was to Willem Tve in 1999. I assume you were looking at a club that was higher up in the league at that point. Uh, you went to play under the legendary Co Adrianza. Uh, and you played the UEFA Champions League as well that uh, first season, yeah. which I'd, I'd forgotten that Willem Tve were ever in the, the UEFA yeah. Champions League. <laughs> I think a lot of people did. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a great experience, though. Yeah, oh, I was I was 20 years old back then. And um, the transfer I made to Willem II was like a last minute. Not a last minute, but I was away with the young national team. So I was in camp and got a phone call from my manager. And he's like, oh got this club Willem too do some research talk to your dad call you back in an hour <laughs> and I'm literally like 20 years old I'm like what's going on so I called my dad and he's basically like very down to earth he's like all, note all the positives all the negatives go from there so at the end it was all positive positive Champions League yeah positive higher in the rank yeah positive 
So a very easy choice to make. But then being on that pitch when you hear the Champions League hymn or the song, like that's what, what you dream of as a kid. So and that that became a, a reality back then. That's so Dutch, isn't it? <clears throat> so pragmatic. Mark down all the positives and all the <laughs> negatives and see what you think at the end of it. Um, how, how influential was Co Adriansa in, in your career? Because I think, I think he also took you to AZ Alkmaar in, yeah. in 2003 as well. So he obviously liked you as a player. Was yeah. he the biggest influence on, on your career, would you say? One of the biggest, yeah. So especially as a young player under him, he was very, how would you say, very straightforward. So... If you played a good game, you played a good game. If it was a bad game, he'd tell you like straight up. And as a young player, having that clarity from a coach, that's very important because I knew where I stood. And if there were things for me to work on, he would just tell you. And then it was up to me how I would react or how I would go about it. And so, especially on the mental side of the game, that's where I learned a lot from him. Of course, the, the high point uh, of your time at AZ Alkmaar was that championship in 2008, uh, 2009. Was, it, was that a surprise that that happened? Obviously, uh, you were under uh, Louis van Gaal at that particular point. co had moved on. Was that a shock? Because I think only AZ and Twente, who won it the year after, yeah. have ever broken the, the big three stranglehold, certainly in, in, in recent living memory. Yeah. Um, for us as a team, it wasn't really a shock um, because two years prior to that, we lost the championship on the last day. So we went into the last day with, I think, one point uh, difference. And we were fighting that last day with PSV and, and Ajax. And um, so as a team, we were up there already, um, but in that se the season after we so we always used to lose the, like the big big games, but in that season like everything just came, and and went our way. So we won the big games, um, won so the, the lower teams that you should beat we beat, um, and that season every everything just came and and fell our way. So as a team, it wasn't really a surprise, but maybe for people on the outside, looking at a club like AZ Alkmaar, with, which isn't the biggest club, um, for them it might be a surprise, but not for us as a team. True. At that, at that time, that was also probably um, your, your first time, maybe with the Australian youngsters, Brett Holman, yep, James yep. Holland. Yeah, uh, this correct. One. So at that stage, you, you were quite a young player. They were also very young players. What was the feeling then uh, in terms of the, the Australian player coming over to the environment in Holland? <laughs> uh, so let's start with James. James was, uh, was a young player at the time when I was there. Um, at the time, I was one of the, the team captains and James just came into uh, like the young or the U team, the, yeah, the U team and very driven, um, like passionate, put a lot of work in. Um, I, I only think at that time, the, the biggest um, challenge for him at that time was that we had a great first team and yeah. everybody was doing well and, and everybody was up there. 
So in, it kind of blocked his development part because he, could, he, he couldn't make that next step because of everybody else that was up there already. But I think he learned a great lot um, at AZ, like mental-wise, uh, playing-wise. Um, I think the, especially when you're young, when you come to Holland, like development-wise, uh, the way you think about the game um, can help you uh, progress. And, uh, and Brett, Brett, the same. Um, great quality for us in the team. Um, we used to call him, how, how can I say it in English? <laughs> Fair in Dutch. The kilometer freighter. <laughs> a kilometer freighter. So, so he could run for fun. He could run all day, like up and down. So he played on the right wing for us. Yeah. And you you just knew. I don't so for for example, for me as a captain, I you don't have to worry the for, for Brett. Like he's gonna work his ass off. He's he's gonna go up and down, he's gonna get scoring chances, he's gonna get crosses in. So he was a great addition to to the team and 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 very influential in in his way of playing as well. Of course, you you also had Joey Didalitsa, who's sort of yeah. Australian. I know he played for yeah. for Croatia. Um, I'm I'm fascinated to get some insight into what sort of a coach Louis van Gaal was because <laughs> the perception is is that he's a little bit different. Is that fair? <laughs> well, there are two sides to him. The one side that you see on the telly and when he has his arguments with the reporters and, and the newspapers and everything. But then for the team, he is just like your second dad. Like he would know you inside out. He would know your kid's name, your kid's birthday, your wife's name, wife's birthday. Um, and the way to describe him basically as a coach, um, I can tell you one story that would just lay it out. So um, one morning training, I, you know, one of those days when you're like, oh, I have to get up, go to training. And it was just like one of those days. And my youngest daughter, she was sick, so I didn't sleep at all. So I rocked up, trained, but wasn't really there. So he just pulled me aside and said, mate, what's going on? I said, yeah, didn't really sleep. My daughter is sick. Um, so yeah, not feeling the best. And he just took me out of the session he said you know what you go home take care of the family so this was Wednesday or, or Tuesday and he okay. said take the time you need I just want you to be ready for the game on Saturday and I'm like okay so went home took care of the family and that Saturday I played the best game like yeah, yeah. that that just describes him as as a coach for the team and the way he thinks about his his players so his um, way of looking at the play is the, the person behind the player. So if mm. he can fix that, then the player will show up every game. That's a fascinating insight. And you're right, that's not the, uh, the perception of the public, is it? Yeah. Do, do you think he, he does that sort of deliberately in public to provoke uh, a different perception of, of who he might be, almost to protect that uh, playing environment? Yeah. Yeah, so everything he does is for the team. So he, as a coach, took away a lot of pressure with the way he would um, act, um, for example, with the press. So if you notice, he will never take down a player in the press or never talk in a real bad sense about the team. 
Like we will hear it the day after. Don't <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but but on on the outside, he takes a, away a lot of pressure, and and that was very important for us, especially because we weren't really used to fighting for a championship. So, and with his ability to take away that kind of pressure from us, helped us a great lot progressing as a team. Describe for us, Q, the, the celebrations in Alkmaar, which I know is, is a small town. It's a cheese-making town in the yeah. Netherlands, isn't it? Am I right in remembering, this is just off the top of my head, that you went celebrating on a boat down the river or something with the, <laughs> with the fans lining the, the banks of the river? Is that right? Yeah, so so um, it's a bit the same as, as, as um, Amsterdam, where you got the small like channels. Yeah. And yeah, you're exactly right. So... If you got the little channels, like the whole city was upside down, people on the side, and, and we were just in the middle on the boat, and we just rocking the boat, like, <laughs> and the boat just went like this. And yeah, the great experience, great experience. Terrific. Yeah. <laughs> um, you also won a championship uh, in Poland. You, you yeah. signed for Wisla Krakow after you left uh, Alkmaar. Um, which on paper, obviously, you just look at somebody's CV on Wikipedia and you think, mm, yep. that's an interesting move, going to, to Wisla Krakow, because you weren't that old at that point. Why did you make that move and how was that experience? Um, so basically, I, I just wanted different. So growing up in, in Holland, um, like football is, is a very, so in Holland, it, it's more of a thinking game. It's, it's a very technical game, uh, tactical Um and starting professionally at 17, 18. Um, and I think I was maybe 25, 26 when I went to Wisla. So I had all of that under my belt and I just wanted something different. And, and as well, all the baggage I have as a player, uh, I just wanted to challenge to get out of like my comfort zone and show that you can perform somewhere else as well. Um, and that challenge came came with Wisla. And Krakow, of course, a, a beautiful city to live in yeah. as well. How's yeah. your Polish, Q? You, you learn a few words? Sounds a very difficult language to me. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the, the thing that makes it hard is the grammar. So yeah. if you misplace one word within a sentence, like you can be screwed up. Like you <laughs> can actually maybe offend somebody or like really say bad stuff. But yeah. you really just meant to say hello. How are you? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like my English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit the same. No, it's it's. Uh, so when when I would go about, so I I could just communicate with people, like do groceries and everything. But then when I would step that line of oh he knows Polish, then I would be lost like completely. <laughs> and I would and and but then they what they appreciate is if you try in polish they will try in english so in the end like we we got along and 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 you know sometimes it was hand and feet but in the end like we we made it work we made it work your you, your time there but you touched on you go going to poland so you wanted to experience something different because you've obviously you've experienced everything in holland and tactically yep. yeah it's it's hard eh? because it's think 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 it's it's yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's damn a chess in holland it how, is how, how did you feel in terms of Poland? Was, was the, the, the type of football, was it, were you allowed to express yourself a little bit more? What was the type of football like in Poland? 
No, it was very, very different. So I, I think one of my um, things that helped me was that I played with a better team. So uh, Krakow was one of the, the better teams fighting for a championship. But in my playing style, the way I was brought up, that, that just clashed. So I remember my first game as a center back, got the ball and I tried to dribble into midfield and everybody, ah, Q, where you going? What you doing? But yeah, I was just yeah. comfortable going into the midfield because that's what I've been doing all my career. Yeah. And yeah. then, no, mate, you just pass the ball to a midfielder, stay in line and organize the defense. That's what I want you to do. And in the beginning, I was very confused because I thought, well, what if I get into midfield, we create an overload. <laughs> <and get played. laughs> no, mate, don't worry about that. We want you in the line, organize the defense. That's it. And, and it, it was a very, very physical um very physical league so it, it didn't really matter who you played against you could play against number last but you just yeah, yeah. have to work your your, your backside yeah. off for 94 minutes and then at the end you see what the score is so in that regard that formed me as well so I was very happy that I took that step because finally I experienced different and and um, had to use another aspect of of me as a player rather than you know the thinking game and being the chess player that you are because sometimes yeah. it's just about hard work i would imagine that australia is a little bit different to poland and the netherlands as well uh, that sort of leads us on to your time um in the a league uh, we had a twitter question from blake that sort of sums up the next uh, part of the, of the mm. chat had you heard much about the a league and football in australia in general before signing for the Jets and, and what did you think of the quality in comparison to Europe? I heard about it through Joey uh, Dido. Um, so he's very involved with, uh, with his brother at the time. I think it was Melbourne Hart at the time. Um, so I knew some uh, from Joey and Gerald Seaborn, who I know well, um, told me about it as well, and James. Um, so in that regard, I had some information, didn't really know much about the league. Um, but, but the, 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 how I got to, um, Australia, that was the funny part because I already had a contract laid out for me, um, with Kombu, uh, Kombu Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was going to sign on a Wednesday. And Saturday night, I got the phone call about Australia. And I'm like, Australia? So I said to my wife, babe, listen, this guy just rang up and, and he's talking about Australia. And she just went, wow, Australia, are you serious? I always wanted to go there. And we're like, you sure? And she's like, babe, that's it. So talk to my manager. I'm like, mate, listen. Whatever happens, it's not going to happen Wednesday. So um, we just went for um, like guts and feeling. Um, like there was no certainty um, at the time because of the salary cap. I was one of the late um, guys to come in. So they so normally, like in, in Europe, if you go to a club, like they take care of like school, uh, house, like whatever you can. You just, you just play you just Welcome play to Australia Q. You just play, you just play football. And so there was no certainty of of stuff so I'm like 
babe are you sure and she's like yeah we just pray for it and we just go and like i'm still here like the best yeah. best thing yeah, yeah. Mate, she just didn't want she just didn't want to go to canberra in winter it is the coldest joint in holland <laughs> hey it is but but to be fair like after my my three years in poland so i played games in minus 20 like yeah. double skins, oh, yeah. double gloves, like whatever cream you could find that that might help. <laughs> now, yeah. Q, the the time at Newcastle was interesting as a player. Let's yeah. let's <laughs> say that. Talk us through that little era, the Nathan Tinkler era, the player revolt, and your <laughs> subsequent sacking. Is is that the right term? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still call it a sacking. So yeah. let's <laughs> give us your take on it. Um. So yeah, that season. How can I say we had um, Phil Stubbins. So I I didn't know anything uh, about Phil uh, before that. Um. But like I said, the way I grew up in football, you analyze everything. You you think about everything. Um. If we got the ball, we play this system. Um, what do I do if they play a certain system? What will I bring up against it? What will I do if like their center backs got the ball, dribbles into midfield? Like in Holland, like the way I grew up, I used to think about everything. And when I had Phil, I would ask, like, okay, like this is what we're gonna do. Like, what's the game plan? What are we gonna do if this happens? Well, mate, I don't think they will. Yeah, okay, but <laughs> but let's. <laughs> Maury, <laughs> you like that one, Maury? And I'm like, yeah, okay, fair enough. But but let's say they do. Like, what is our game plan? What like is he going to step inside? Is he going to drop in? And I wasn't able to have any kind of tactical discussion with him about it. Um, so and and that was strange for me because that was the first time um that i had a coach that wasn't really into the tactical part of things cool so you've seen you've seen very early on in australia if you had knowledge and if you had experience there's a big problem yeah <laughs> oh, I, it's it's hard as well because you only know what you know if you if you just don't know bravo, bravo. yeah that's you know so, and then the same, uh, where, for example, when I just um, started, um, we were doing a passing game, a passing drill. And one of the boys had a miss kick and everybody was like, unlucky, mate. And I'm like, what? what, what what's unlucky? Like, mate, get the ball again, do it again, and yeah. hit the ball. God, mate, it's only 50 meters. Hit it and hit it well. And they were looking at me like I was a crazy one. Like, you know, because for them, oh, yeah, it's unlucky. Yeah, next time we'll try again. But I was thought there's there's no luck in things. If if it's not going the way you want it to go, you work harder or try again. So but that that's a bit of culture, I find, where it's it's really a safe environment. Everybody's good mates and, and I was grow up like, you know, it's business. If if it's you and me fighting for a position and it's a 50-50, you make it an 80-20. Like we can drink a coffee after, but you know, it's, it's not always good mates. Like I remember in Holland every Wednesday or Thursday, when you do the small sided games, you rock up with your shin pads, 
we just start and we go like there's no like sorry mate um yeah. you know there's in in that sense it was very like friendly i remember my first week like literally the whole team everybody asked me mate here's my number if you need something just you know give me boss ask me anything <laughs> and i just went home i'm like babe i don't know what's going on with these boys but <laughs> <laughs> something, is, something is going on <laughs> it's funny you say that Cube, yeah? because Spider you would have had a, a, your type of experience my experience when I went the other way so I've gone from Australia to Europe mate, and everyone was kicking the shit out of you yeah because mate, you're, but, you're a competitor yeah yeah, mate when I got to Holland mate let me tell you the keepers were not happy that a foreign keeper was coming to Holland mate, they, they, yeah, they, weren't, they weren't happy at all because mate it was competition yeah, it was yeah. competition, but like you said there, Hugh, like when I was at Rota, man, we we had the best dressing room ever. I swear to God, my, one of my best mates was Suriname as well, Rahili or Fred. Oh, do you, and do you mate, mate, could you imagine the two of us? We're like six foot six, six foot seven. <laughs> the two of us, one's black, one's white. They used to call us the Sheridans wherever <laughs> we went. <laughs> mate, it was it was gold. But at training, mate, you'd kick the living daylights out of each other. Oh, but yeah. afterwards, mate, you go for a broche broche filet american and have a <laughs> have a have a coffee and mate, all was good. Yeah, yeah, true, true, yeah. Uh, Q, so do, do you think that sort of over-friendly environment led to this uh, chaotic ending, which uh, culminated in essentially you you losing your job at, at the Newcastle Jets? Well, like like I said, when I started, for example, with, with um, the issues I had with Phil, for example, but that then just went down to every player having an issue in, in maybe not the same, but in something else. So if you look at paper or on paper, the boys we had in the team, we could do a great job with, with those boys. But in the end, there should be a captain that leads the squad. And if the coach doesn't handle or can't handle the group process, then, you know, all is lost in, 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 um in that sense so so it wasn't just me I, uh the reason why i lose lost my job is because i was the captain and i just spoke up yeah, yeah. and 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 with me the other uh experienced players that knew the game knew what went wrong um that spoke out um we lost our jobs because of that um so and that wasn't anything else so everybody else that stayed were the young boys that were or happy to play or they were the last year of the contract. So, you know, for them, it was, uh, I either gonna make it or that this might be the last year of playing. In my, uh, for me, like if it would end the day after, I would be happy with what I've done in football. Um, so for me, it wasn't like a life or death situation. Um, and that was also for me, the reason to speak out because I was worried for the younger players um, who would grow up in an environment like that, that could damage your whole career if you don't know. So I would know, so I would speak out uh, against things. I thought, well, this isn't supposed to go this way. Q, you're now, of course, the TD of Northern New South Wales and uh, with the Jets emerging talent as well. 
Uh, the, the club is in at a low point again in, in a different way, but yep. has, has that culture changed at, at Newcastle? No, I don't find not yet. Um, and I hope it will change while I'm here because I, like I said, I grew up very different in football. Um, if you want to compete and if you want to be the best, there should be a culture where you have to have that desire to be the best. Um, and it can't always be friendly and nice. You know, sometimes you need to be better than what you are. Sometimes you need to be stronger than what you are. Sometimes you need to be faster than what you are because somebody else might take your spot. And mm. the kids here don't really grow up like that. So the best kid will be the best kid where either he plays a good game or a bad game. There's no consequence to that. In how I grew up in Holland, there are three or four guys that can do what you do. If you have a bad week of training, that might be your spot. Yeah. Yeah. Q, got an interesting football question for you. You're a central defender. That was your preference, yeah? Yeah. Central defense? Yeah. Mate, the Dutch strikers, the ones that I played against, the ones that I worked with, they yeah. like to, to, to make the pitch long. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a, and, and what I'm to the listeners, make the pitch long is normally the striker stands behind the central defenders. Yeah. This is a difficult situation for a central defender. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So how, how do they work on the central defenders in terms of that that process? Yeah, because you're always looking over your shoulder. I remember Mikey Moles, I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. this type of striker is very difficult. Quite, you, first of all, it, it, it begins with your concentration level. So there's, there can't be any second in the game where you switch off because they're smart like that too. Like that second mic. Yeah, that, like, and they're ruthless like that as well. So it's just, so the way, for example, a number six scans a situation the whole time, that's how a centered back would scan and center, like, where's the ball? Where's the striker? Where's the ball? Where's the striker? Call in your defender because if I need to do this, you need to cover me here. So the communicating part of things. So what, what I always explain to the kids is I always explain and tell them it's a thinking game. So the faster you can process information, the higher you will play. Sometimes it's not about your ability. And then I give them an example of, okay, their number six got the ball facing up and now you're the center back. So within this, how many things do I have to think about? And they go, oh, yeah, well, the striker, um, where the ball is. And they most of the times give me two or three. And then I'll start to break it down. I said, okay, well, their number six got the balls facing up. I need to know the quality of the six. Yes. Is he a good passer? What kind of pass? If he gives right. a pass, what kind of pass is it? Does it have backspin? Like, does it have some kind of effect on it? Then I need to know where my other defenders is, where my defensive line is. I need to know where my goalkeeper is. I need to know where my 80-yard box is. And I need to know the quality of my striker. And then they give me that look like, <laughs> and yeah. but but that's literally what happens every day. So you just that's that's your. Uh, it it just becomes a habit in that sense. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because you you start to to play and think like that when you're 10, 11. So and then it depends on how you develop yourself, how far you can take that. But it, it's, but it it's yeah it's 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 a thinking game. It's it's a fascinating insight um, into particularly the mentality and how you prepare to play football at the elite level uh, in a country like the Netherlands. Um, I want to finish off Q by asking you a little bit about your national career. Then we've got one yep. or two Twitter questions as well. Yep. Um, we've, we've mentioned in our promotion for having you on the podcast, of course, that famously at the World Cup in 2006, you weren't playing as a centre-back, you were playing as a right-back. Uh, yep. And you marked Leo Messi. And you kept him <laughs> scoreless as well, uh, which is quite an achievement. How do you prepare for playing against a player like Messi? I assume you knew that you were going to be up against him. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the, a lot of people ask me that question. So it's one thing to mark Messi, but if you look at the players I played with, Messi wasn't really my concern at that time. Like, I was that confident in my team that they would have to worry about us. That, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was the mentality. And so let Messi worry about what we bring to the table. So in that sense, I, my worry wasn't really messy. My focus was just playing a good game for my team. And, and, and the boys that were in my team, like they gave me that confidence to do a good job. Did, did you at least get a kick in once or twice? <laughs> oh, mate, he was, he was dead. I tried, I tried. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but he's, he's just quality. Like, you know, sometimes it's, it was just sending him to to a direction like that's literally sometimes all you can do like you can't even get into a fight or a hassle because he's just that quick and that fast so it was just teamwork communicating um closing down the zones uh blocking pass lines so it was just like that it was just a team effort to, um, to <clears throat> you you mentioned that the team that you played with and again i'll, I'll look through the names Van der Sar, Kout, Philip Koku, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Rafael van der Vaart, Ian Robin, Robin van Persie, Mark van Bommel, Wesley Schneider. How on earth did you not win the World Cup in 2006 with all those players? A phenomenal squad. Well, at, at, at that stage of football, it's, you have to have the mojo. Uh, you have to have the flow. Like every, Everybody that's there can play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just about having that mojo of a flow within a tournament if if something is wrong within the team dynamic or you're not a hundred percent on the day like all those little things and we lost uh against uh ronaldo and and portugal one nil but that that could be just one off moment that that takes you home yeah, yeah. Like it might win you the game or it might lose you the game. So it, it, it's very, at that stage, everybody could, can beat everybody. The, the margins of that level, Q, eh? the, the, the margins are, are so small. I mean, yeah. go back, you talk 2006, Spider. We, we, we lose against Italy uh, in, the, in the, the fashion that we lost uh, against Italy and they go on and win the World Cup. So the margins at the yeah. top, top level are yeah. so, so small. Yeah, yeah. And I told I told you, Maury, that that World Cup, like yeah, you know, all the boys that I played with that were in the Italian team at that time, they said to me the game against Australia was the kick up the backside they needed to go on and win the World Cup. 
because we scared the living daylights out of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Q, I want to ask you, out of all of those players that you played with, maybe it's somebody else, I don't know, who was the best that you ever <laughs> played with or against or both? Uh... Or top three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on, you can so, have three. So, so the one that wasn't there that you, you couldn't mention is Clarence Seydorf. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. what a player. Oh. Yeah. So what a player. So playing against him, like you know, you do your eleven v elevens and and your 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 four v fours and and whatever, like there literally, I don't know how many times I had to face him, but you know when you have when there's like no chance of you touching the ball, like that's that's just literally what happened every time, like no just no chance, like his body, the way he moves, like big like this but agile as like i don't know yeah. what hey what about when he used to shield the ball with his with his ass that's, that's the ball I mean. in the, and he just shield it with his ass you just bounce off it and, 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 and you just you you just lose sight of the ball so at that moment you're <laughs> and then and the next thing you know he's turn and faces and and then gives the, like a diagonal from from the one side of the pitch to the other side and you just think like, man, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> what, a, what a player. Brilliant. What a player. Hey, um, Q, let, let, I want to finish off with this one. It is our Twitter question of the week. We could talk for hours, to be honest. Yeah. They, just fascinating insights. Um, but this is our Twitter question of the week. $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher going to David P, who says, <laughs> this is about the World Cup in 2010. You didn't play at this World Cup, of course. Mm. He says, what did you make of Bert van Marwijk's tactics in the World Cup final in 2010? I think that's a good question. <laughs> um, so that, that was a funny one because I think that was one of the only times where Holland didn't really play like, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the tactical, technical. Um, that was, for me, that World Cup was about Nigel de Jong giving the fly or high kick onto somebody's chest. And you're like, well, that's not really like the Dutch way of, you know, playing the game. But that is exactly what got us to that final. And um, so in that sense, I don't mind um, because for me, you need to find a way to win. And if you sometimes have to go out of your way to do that, that's what you need to do. So I completely understand the, the difference in tactics um, because at, at the end, nobody will remember like who lost. Yeah. Everybody will remember who won that game. And, and yet, strangely, we do remember who lost because it was so <laughs> un-Dutch-like, wasn't it? Anyway, it's a, it's a good answer. Um, Spider, do you want to ask your weekly question before we close off? Yeah, Q, tell, tell us, mate, the, the best stadium you've played at and don't say the coop and the, <laughs> and the biggest dungeon you've played at and don't say the coop. <laughs> <laughs> um, the biggest... Well, it, it might not be because of the stadium, but when I played that World Cup game against Argentina, it was literally half of the stadium was bright orange and the other half was white and blue. Yeah. And um, Maradona was at that game. Um, 
our king and queen at the moment, uh, they were at the game. Uh, and I met all three of them. So if I can make a package of, of the biggest stage of the biggest moment, that feeling comes with that stadium um, because that was just the full package I had that day. Which uh, stadium was that? Um, was, that in, was that in Germany? Yeah, it was in yeah, Germany. We only played, it wasn't Allianz. No, it wasn't Allianz. Uh, where did we play? I'm, I'm trying to find it at the moment. <laughs> what's, what's your talking? <laughs> All right, then tell, then tell us the biggest dungeon. What's, what's the worst stadium? And I'll, I'll find out the best stadium for you whilst you're doing that. So I'll, I'll give you two. So the one in Holland, VVV Venlo. Oh, yeah, so yeah that was that was a dungeon. Yeah, you you literally your your whole schedule, your day, your game day schedule was was out of the window because you it took you maybe fifty minutes to get to the pitch. Then you you needed to climb a you needed to climb right. stairs for about five and a half minutes to get to the shed. So that was like, mate, seriously. Like yeah, that, that if that would be number one, and number two, like I've played some games in Poland where I thought, oh, <laughs> oh, like minus twenty, not really like the best atmosphere. Like you know, yeah. you play on ice, they spray the line red, give you an orange ball, and just off you go. Ninety minutes. Uh. <laughs> yeah. um, that's <clears throat> that stadium at the World Cup, by the way, was in Frankfurt. Yeah, ah, correct. Deutsche correct. Bank Park, as it's known now, yeah. it probably wasn't for the World Cup. Hey, Q, we we got to leave you there because we're out of time. But that absolutely fascinating insights into your your playing career and your views on football. We uh, we wish you all the very best with Northern New South Wales and with the uh, Emerging Jets program up there in Newcastle. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Uh, thank you, Vel. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Yonga. Keep it going. Well done. Yeah, well Cheers. That is Q Yallens, and that is us for another week. See you again next Monday for another Shim Spider and so much more. Until then, bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.